St. John Chrysostom was the Archbishop of the Church in Constantinople during the 4th century, and he wrote, O death, where is your sting? O hell, where is your victory? It was a rewording of the classic line from St. Paul's letter to the Corinthians, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? St. Paul probably took that from a couple of ancient prophets, Isaiah and Hosea. And when the Archbishop said it, it was meant as a rhetorical question to which the answer should be a resounding gone. Death no longer stings, hell no longer wins, Christ is victorious. But boy, the realities of life severely question that truth sometimes, don't they? Don't they? Easter Sunday, but the world can seem really stuck on Friday. These last 12 months, and you know, this is Cana's 8th Easter. And it seems every Easter I've said this. These last 12 months have been hard for many in our community. Cynthia's mom passed away this week, Monday. Meg's mom passed away just a few months ago. Dale's mom passed away. Robert and Karen lost a grandson. And many of us have suffered tremendously over the last 12 months. There's been death, there's been cancer, there have been job loss, economic uncertainty, collapse of relationship, severe illnesses, loneliness, sorrow, hardship, just in a small community. Perhaps even this morning when you were getting ready to come to Easter service, these words of Bishop Conway's would resonate. We come to church today to celebrate the resurrection. We have been taught the theology. We have sung the hymns. We believe the creeds. Yet some years at least, there can be a large gap somehow between our living the Christian life and a deep sense of freedom and resurrection life. It can be not so much, Alleluia, Christ is risen, He is risen indeed, as, all right, Alleluia, and believe me, I get it. I'm not immune to hardship and suffering. For all the claimed victory over death and the grave and sin that was accomplished at Calvary and validated by an empty tomb, the world sure seems as dark as ever, doesn't it? Seems some days like evil never got the memo that they lost. War is everywhere. Some conservative estimates put 40 countries at war right now. The United Nations says refugee numbers have never been higher in the history of humanity, and that includes during World War II. Terrorism infiltrates nearly every country. Just this week, Belgium. A little while ago, Paris, San Bernardino, Nigeria. Famine, poverty, and pending economic collapse affect one-fifth of the world's population. One in five people. Drug-resistant bacteria, superviruses, epidemics threaten humanity. Hatred and anger are now popular political platforms. And sadly, sometimes theological platforms. 
violence and random killings make the news every day. It makes you ask, so where's that victory again? One of my favorite crime series that was made, limited one season, the two main characters were involved in trying to stop grotesque evil, dark, dark. And by the time it was over, it had affected them emotionally, spiritually, physically, intellectually. And in the closing scene, one of them was trying to grasp at anything that wasn't dark. And he looked up at the sky and he said, well, the stars and, and the partner, his partner said, yeah, but it appears to me that dark has a lot more territory. It can seem like that living in this world, can it? We're Christians, we believe in the light, but it seems the dark has a lot more territory. It can be hard to believe in resurrection. It's easier maybe to just say, all right, hallelujah anyway, and go on living in the shadow of death without ever embracing the light of the empty tomb. But that's exactly why we must embrace it. This is why Easter is the most important day of the year. I love the way you put it, Dave. All my hope hinges on this. Frederica Matthews Green is an author. She received this note from a Jewish friend of hers as he was struggling with all the pain in the world and in his own life. He said, looking at this Christmas thing as a man raised in a Jewish home, the big celebration of Christianity should be Easter. No Easter, no Christianity. So all the focus on Christmas, at least to me, seems misdirected. Why Christians don't whoop it up more at Easter is a mystery to me. How inspirational, how joyful that is the time to toast each other, lay on gifts, attend worship services, pack in the rich food, something really substantial and holy to remember. That's good. And Frederica, when she wrote back to him, she commented this way, or actually not back to him, just commenting on this letter she had received. No Easter, no Christianity, my friend has a point. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, who cares if he was born in a manger or a 7-Eleven? If he didn't rise from the dead, Christmas is meaningless. And St. Paul made the same argument when trying to confront the Corinthians' lack of faith in bodily resurrection. If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is our faith. And what's the point? What's the point? And as we join together this morning to celebrate Easter, I find myself asking the same question as Mitch did in debating with Paul the way the Corinthians did. For while we're quick to claim belief in the resurrection of Christ from the dead, sometimes it seems as though our real, any real faith in resurrection is fleeting. So much pain and suffering can leave us with more doubt than faith. Confidence in the reality of life. Trust in the absolute goodness of God. Strength and courage in the face of evil can give ways to worries. Fear. And then from worries and fear naturally comes anger and hatred. 
And that naturally leads to violence and lack of forgiveness and bitterness. Until all we're doing is living lives of self-preservation, which is no different than anybody else lives. Yet we're resurrection people. We can get so low with the darkness of this world that we no longer allow the reality of the first Easter to inform our lives both individually and collectively. We're Easter people. We're resurrection people. This is where the disciples' own experience is valuable. See, it was no different for them. Even when they were confronted with the tangible reality of His resurrection, they still had trouble believing it, had trouble living into it. Read the story closely. Notice the details. Peter and John, who spent three years with Jesus, had heard him tell them he would die and rise again, had been in the empty tomb, had seen the grave clothes, had been told by Mary that he had risen again. Yet still, they returned to their hideout. And with the other disciples... They stayed behind locked doors, afraid of this world they knew as painful, a world they knew brought suffering and death. What are our locked doors? Hatred, lack of forgiveness, fear, worries, anxiety, locked doors. And even when Jesus came and stood among them and ate their food, they remained skeptical. It wasn't until weeks later that the full impact of resurrection really affected the disciples. And they saw it in person. So some 2,000 years removed, and we have to accept it all by faith. No wonder we struggle to trust. No wonder. I get it. But as difficult as it may be to allow ourselves to trust it happened, trust it really happened, here's the thing. I think if we really can trust it, it will change our lives. I think it will change them as much or even more as it eventually changes the disciples. For living under the reality that the, res that the resurrection did happen, that death has been defeated, is living with the hope that no matter what happens, it's not the end of the story. Our pain, our suffering, our fears, our death are not the last word. Life is. And life not death is eternal. Life, not death, is the final reality. So C.S. Lewis and Anders Nigren did some very helpful writing on this idea. They lived during World War II. And they likened the language of Paul in Romans about our bondage to sin and death to the reality of the world they lived in during World War II and how all of Europe was in bondage to the Nazi regime. Now, this example might be more helpful if we had lived during that time, but I think with a little imagination, we can certainly learn from their experience. Here's what they talked about, Lewis and Nigren. By 1942, all of Europe was under Nazi control. The situation for those living in the occupied countries was hopeless. They had no chance of freeing themselves. The Nazis were ruthless and were never going to simply give them their countries back and their normal lives back. Most people were simply trying to eke out a survival under the weight of death and oppression. And in, and in our lives it can be like that. We're just trying to get through the days. 
And then, on June 6th, 1944, the Allies took the beach in Normandy. It was a decisive victory that eventually led to the collapse of the Nazi regime and the freedom of all of Europe. But, on June 6th, and for many months afterwards, nothing really changed. All the countries, including all of France except the beach area, was still under Nazi control, and they were as ruthless as ever. In fact, in some countries, their killing and oppression even became worse. But in reality, everything had changed. The, not, the lie of the Nazi invincibility was shattered, their power compromised, and wherever people heard the rumor of the Allied success at Normandy, hope was born. Hope that allowed them to endure the worst. Hope that gave them the courage to face the darkness. Hope that enabled them to live in the face of death. Alistair McGrath writes of this in connection with Easter. And so with us now. In one sense, victory has not come. In another, it has. The resurrection declares in advance of the event... God's total victory over all evil and oppressive forces, such as death, evil, and sin. Their backbone has been broken, and we may begin to live now in the light of that victory, knowing the long night of their oppression will end. I love that. In that final scene from that show I was talking about, after the partner had said, it looks as though darkness has greater territory. Some time went on, and then the other partner finally looked up and he said, No, Marty, I think you're looking at this all wrong. In the beginning, it was only darkness. If you ask me, light's winning. Light's winning. That's the Easter story. Of course, the question remains. How do we believe in the resurrection when all around us seems to scream it never happened? How do we assimilate it into our lives and live into the hope that this rumor of victory offers when we are personally under incredible darkness and suffering? How? Well, you know me by now, I don't give out simple step-by-step -step programs on the question of how. I think Christianity is much more mysterious than that. Trust and faith, after all, don't have programs. But perhaps Mary Magdalene's own story can help us. When the disciples left the empty tomb and went back to their fears and locked doors, where was Mary? Still at the tomb. Why? I don't think it was because she unequivocally believed in resurrection. Again, read the story closely. She was crying, all the sadness and horror of the death of Jesus still darkened her world. The danger of being one of Jesus' followers at a time like this was still very real. Her world was shattered, and now she had the added sorrow of his body having been taken away. She couldn't even express her grief by anointing the body one more time. But still she stayed at the tomb. 
I think she remained at the tomb for the same reason. She followed Joseph and Nicodemus and watched them as they prepared Christ's body for burial. I think she stayed at the tomb for the same reason she stayed at the cross. Love. Pure and simple. She loved Jesus so much. No darkness could overcome her. No pain caused her to give up. No horror scare her away. You can approach this thing we call Christianity from any direction you want. And in 51 years, I've approached it from many different directions, especially when I was a young man and knew everything. But as now that I'm older, I am convinced, as St. Paul was, if we don't have love, what's the point? What's the point? Jesus himself, God in the flesh, one among us said the greatest commandment is to love God and to love others. I'm discovering maybe why he said this, and maybe why St. Paul said nothing else matters without love. Because when we love God, truly love God, that is when we will discover the mystery of faith itself. And even when the shadow of the cross takes away our midday sun and turns our world to darkness, we will still believe because we love Him. Here's the good news. It's really easy to fall in love with Jesus. Honest. No, I'm not talking about American Christianity. I'm not talking about politics. I'm not even talking about falling in love with Christians. If the Bible scares you a little bit, I get it. I'm talking about falling in love with Jesus. It's simple. All you have to do is spend time with him. Honest. Read his story. Meditate on his story. Think about his story. Talk about his story. His story. Not the American Christian story. His story. Sacrificial, unconditional love is a story we all love. The only people I've ever met in this world that don't love that story are people that have deep, deep, deep issues. Because all the great films, all the great songs, the great art, the great books that we all love, they tell his story. His story is everywhere. Because humanity at its very best is always drawn to the story where love wins and hate loses. We all might disagree on the means of love winning and evil losing, but we all love when evil loses. All of us. That's why Hollywood is a billion dollar industry, because more often than not, evil loses. We love the story where life is forever ever, and death is for a moment. Where the hero sacrifices everything to save the ones he loves. We all love that. That's his story. That's where it came from. 
You might not always understand theology. You might not always be attracted to religion. You might find many different doctrines confusing. You might only come to church once a year. That's okay. You don't need any of that to fall in love with Jesus. You don't. And for those of us who have been brought up in church and have often approached Christianity from another perspective, I want to say this. Some of you will let it rattle off your back, and that's okay. I'm not saying it to convince you. I'm saying it so when the day comes, you'll remember someone said it. In your doctrines of a God that is angry, in your theologies of exclusivity and bitterness, in your theologies of judgment, in your theologies that have nothing to do with a God of unconditional love lets you down, because they won't stand up when profound evil visits you. They won't. They won't. What will stand up, and you can talk to people right in this room that have had profound evil visit them. One thing. God loves you. And He is all good. And He is all love. And if you don't love God, it's because you've never met Him. I can talk to each one of you individually and I know you'll tell me about someone you love that you think is unbelievable and you'll tell me why and all you'll tell me is Jesus' story. Just spend time with his story and I am confident his story, the real story of his amazing love for us will lead you to love him. Mary's love kept her there at the tomb. And as a result, she was the first to see the risen Christ. The first to touch Him. The first to be ordained to go and tell. Yes, a woman was the first apostle. The first to know the reality of resurrection. As we love Him, we too will more and more know the reality of resurrection, even if the fullness of that victory is not yet so evident. The light is winning because it won. Death lost at Calvary, and now because of Easter, we can all live not in the fear of darkness and death, but in the hope of life and light. He is risen. Thanks be to God. Let's all join together now. Dave and the music team are going to lead us in a song. And I'm going to ask everyone to stand for this closing song. Let's sing together.